Well, today we uh, actually get to finish our study in the book of Hebrews, which is really cool. I'm excited about that. I'm excited actually to, to uh, jump into something new next week. But I, I'm also excited to get into chapter 13. And uh, this book gets wrapped up with a chapter that kind of ends on, on a very practical note. So, you know, just to review kind of where we've been in the book of Hebrews, it's really all about helping us understand what it means to have access to God. Uh, keep in mind that we don't have 1,500 years of history of following the law, uh, temple worship, you know, those kinds of, of, of things, and a lot of rituals that had been established over that period of time. We don't have all of those things as a part of our history like the Jewish people did. And so for Jesus to come and for them to make this shift from their mindset about what worship looked like and following the law to understanding Jesus as the fulfillment of the law uh, was a big deal. You know, they had taken what was intended to inspire them toward faith and to be pictures of what they should do to express their faith in God and in turn that itself, the act of following the law, into you know, what, what was most important. And so that's what Hebrews is about. And we get this reminder that Jesus is... This once-for-all sacrifice brings us to God. And so it's really, really important that we understand that, that the heart of this book is all about us being in right relationship with God. And once that happens, then it will begin to display itself in the way that we live. But we need to make sure we don't get the cart before the horse. We need to make sure that we, that we get what it's all about to know God personally and to know that we have access to God. And then as a result of that, okay, here are some ways that that faith is going to get lived out. So that's really what chapter 13 is all about, is he's wrapping up this book, this final chapter, are, are several different ways to say, okay, in light of all that we've talked about, in light of Jesus being our sacrifice and the way being open for us to have direct access to God and all that, here's some, some ways that that should flesh itself out in our lives. So let's start with Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 3. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. So he starts off here in verse 1 with a reminder. And it says here, the, the, the way this is phrased in this translation, it says, keep on loving one another. And that's the implication here behind this, this tense of this verb is, this is something that is, you are to continue doing. It's not something that was new to them. It was something that he was reminding them, this is what you have been doing, and I want you to keep doing this. And, and just remember that this is priority. John chapter 13, remember what Jesus said to his disciples, John chapter 13, in verse 34, he talked about, how he was giving them a new command, and that new command was to love one another. And then he goes on in the next verse, verse 35, and he says, By this, all people will know that you are my, my disciples if you, what? What does he say? If you love one another. So this is to be the defining characteristic of who you are as my people. One of the primary ways people will know that is if you love one another. And so he's just reminding them to keep, going in this area. This is something that, that Jesus himself said is priority. You look in the early church, and I love to read back through the book of Acts and just see you know, how God worked 
in the early church. And in Acts chapter 2, so you're, you know, the Holy Spirit comes, Acts chapter 2, the church is birthed and there's all this excitement and people are coming to know Christ. But in the midst of that, in Acts chapter 2, you get this picture of what Christian community looks like. And the people are coming together and it says they came together every day and they're breaking bread together and they're fellowshipping together and they're praying together and they're doing all this stuff. And one of the things that it says is that anyone who had need, that they were actually selling their possessions, they were giving to people, which by the way, it doesn't say specifically whether that was just to other believers or that was to people in general, but one way or the other, they were very generous in what they were doing. They were loving each other in a variety of ways. The love was very evident. And then you get to verse 47. And in Acts 2, 47, it says, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Not a coincidence that, that on the heels of the church loving well, that people were being added to the community of faith. So here's my question for us. This is something I've been thinking about. If in the Bible and in the early church, one of the primary defining characteristics in the way the church was known was because of their love, is that still true today? You think that's true? Do you think one of the primary ways that the church today is known is for its love? It grieves me to say I'm not so sure that's the case. Not so sure that that is true, but it should be. And this is a reminder to us as we get into the, the concluding part of this book that, hey, we need to get back to the basics here a little bit. Uh, we need to love each other well. Now, loving each other well does not mean that we just have an anything goes kind of a mentality. In fact, let me remind you in chapter 12, right before this, chapter 12 is the chapter where it talks about how God, because he loves us, that God disciplines us as children. Remember this? He disciplines those that he loves. And so God does correct. God does, uh, you know, when we get out of alignment, he you know, will we'll bring things into our lives to bring us back a lot of times. And so I think it's important to, to remember that when he says to them to keep on loving one another, to love one another doesn't mean, hey, I've just got to, you know, accept everything. It doesn't mean that we throw standards out the window. It doesn't mean that we stop seeking to live in a God-honoring way. We need to do that. You know, we are told in our society that to disagree with another person or to challenge a particular uh, lifestyle or whatever is, the, is an unloving thing to do. That's not true. Loving one another means that we are doing everything we can to point others toward and, and one another toward living our lives in a way that is, that is as God-honoring as possible. But here's the, the, the first main idea, and really what he's getting at here, is that we should love well. The way it's translated in, in the translation here that I'm reading from, it says, love one another as brothers and sisters. This is a Greek word. Literally, the word is Philadelphia. It really is. You've always heard this before, right? Philadelphia is, means uh, the, the city of brotherly love. Now, I don't know if that's actually true going there. I've never been to Philadelphia before, but I'm just going to tell you, and maybe this because I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan all my life, I do not think of brotherly love when I think of Philadelphia. Now, maybe somebody's from there, and you can correct me on that, and that's fine, but I find that a, a bit ironic that that is the place that is, that is named for uh, this, this word. But literally, that's what the word means. It means to love one another with a, the, a kind of, of brotherly love, a kind of sibling type of a, a love and devotion to one another. And then it goes on and it says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. And isn't this an interesting little commentary in verse 2, where it says, for by doing some, 
people have shown hospitalities to angels without knowing it. I'm just curious, anybody ever think that's ever happened to you before? Have you, have you ever had that where you maybe just saw someone or had an interaction with somebody, some stranger, and afterwards you're going, could that possibly have been an angel, you know, taking on some type of human form? I mean, I've, I've had that happen before. I know a lot of people have, and it's not totally crazy to think that because the Scripture talks about it. But the point that it's making here is strangers love, don't just love your, uh, within your little circle, Right? Reach out, love even strangers. And by doing so, you might actually be you know, entertaining angels, it says. And then it goes on and it says, not only are we to show hospitality to strangers and love strangers, it says, remember those in prison, those who are mistreated. And what it's saying here is that we should put ourselves in that position so that we are treating them the way we would somebody that we cared about and loved very deeply, or if we ourselves were in that situation, how would we want to respond? How would we want others to respond? See, here's the challenge that I think we have today is we have so much going on and there's so, so many things happening in our lives. It is very difficult a lot of times to move outside of our own little circle. And if something is happening over here, but it doesn't directly involve me, it's really easy to say that's not my problem, right? That's not my issue. I'll let somebody else worry about that. I've got too much to worry about on my own. But I was thinking about a quote uh, from Martin Luther King Jr. in his letter from a Birmingham jail, and I think he hit the nail on the head here of what he's getting at in Hebrews. It says, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. And that certainly should be true in the body of Christ, that whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. In other words, that if somebody else is suffering, if somebody else is being treated in an unjust manner, then it shouldn't be a big deal to everybody because we are to love, and that's the one of the defining characteristics of who we are as God's people. But let's continue on. Verse 4, it says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Here's the second thing that I see in, this, in these verses. What does it look like to live out our faith is to find our contentment in God. I think that's really what he's getting at here. Well, lately we have really been tested in the area of where we find our contentment, haven't we? Because a lot of things that we considered to be normal before have been taken away now. And a lot of things that maybe brought certain levels of contentment in the past are not available to us in this season of life. And so it's really caused us to, to stop and evaluate and to ask the question, you know, what, what is it that really matters? What's really important? And where should I really find my contentment? I think that can be a good thing, by the way. Of all the challenges uh, that, that all this pandemic has created, one of the good things is that it's causing us, I think, to ask the question, okay, where is my contentment really? And am I really finding that in who God is? And that's what this passage is telling us we should do. But it, it speaks to a couple of different things in verse 4. It kind of comes back to a theme that we saw last week in chapter 12, 
where it's talking about sexual immorality, but it, what it says here is marriage should be honored by all, the marriage bed kept pure, God will judge the adulterer, the sexually immoral. Um, a couple of things on that, and I, I think, it, and, and here's the connection to that, I think that we can look for contentment, either in a relationship and some type of sexual fulfillment or whatever it may be. That, that is one area or a substitute that we can look to, but he's saying, look, that's, that's, that's not it. But it does say here that marriage should be honored by all. And I find that significant. Not just that it should be accepted by all, or not just that it should be tolerated by all, but that marriage should be honored. And, and the way, by the way, that, that, that it's honored, one of those, obviously, it says the marriage bed should be kept pure. And I think we know what Scripture has to say about that. But it goes beyond that. To say that marriage should be honored by all is saying more than you just need to avoid infidelity. So here's the thing. There, there are a lot of people right now, uh, either here, listening, following along, that you would never get into an extramarital relationship. You, you, know, you, just, you, you won't do that. You'll never do that. And yet the reality is that your marriage is really not being honored. See, there, there's more to it than that. And the way that you think about your spouse and the way that you talk to your spouse, is that honoring? Is the marriage being honored? Is it being held up as something that, that is uh, to be honored by all, as it says here? And, uh, it's important. But it's also important that we realize that even marriage is not going to provide ultimately the contentment and the fulfillment that we need to find only in God. I mean, that's one of the places that we sometimes look, but verse 5 reminds us of another one. And it talks about the love of money, which certainly material things or, or, or financial security or those kinds of, that, that's some place that we can easily look for contentment. These are a couple of uh, things that we can fall in love with, maybe even more than God, in a relationship with material things. So why is that so important? Why is it so important that it says in verse 5 that we should keep our lives free from the love of money? And it, it answers us very specifically. It says, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Now, you, you've heard that verse before, right? Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Did you remember that it comes specifically in the context of our lives being free from the love of money? That's what he's talking about here. And his point is this, look, if, if you have contentment in me, that's enough. If you realize that I'm here for you, that I'm never going to leave you, that I will always be here for you, that's enough. I guess a week or so ago, uh, Sean and I went on one of our, what I would call a COVID date. I don't know if anybody else has done this. Our COVID date was we went through a drive through somewhere and went and sat under a shade tree and ate our dinner together. And on this particular occasion, we decided we're going to get our, our Pandora going and we listened to 80s love songs while we had our COVID date in the parking lot. And it was fun. It was actually, it was really a blast. And I enjoyed the music, enjoyed the songs, and certainly enjoyed the company. Uh, but here's one thing, as much as I enjoyed that music, it reminded me what 80s love songs are all about. And, and this fact, that theology in those love songs is horrible. 
I mean, you know, the songs are fun and it's kind of the sweet, you know, message of, you know, loving somebody deeply and all that. And I can get into all that. I love that. But then I was thinking, man, the theology is bad because here's basically what the message is. Go back and listen to those songs from that area. Basically, the message is this, that as long as I've got you, that's all I need. Right. If I can just get you or get you back or hold on to you, then life is going to be good and you're going to fulfill all of my needs in life and I'm going to be content and everything's going to be good. And, and I read this passage in Hebrews and I couldn't help but to think about that. I thought, you know, that's, that's really kind of where we live in a lot of cases, isn't it? If, if I can just have this right relationship, if I could just have this certain level of financial security, if I could, and you fill in the blank, then I would finally be content. But the Bible's making it very clear to us here what God is saying is, look, I don't want you to love these things because I want you to love me more than anything else. And that message of as long as you have me, you have all you need, that's actually true if you're talking about God. Because he says, I will be there for you and, and I am all that you need. And that's why it says in verse 6 that we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid what can can mere mortals do to me. By the way, that is a quote from Psalm 118. In Psalm 118, the context of that chapter is um, being faced with a lot of opposition and being surrounded by one's enemies and all that. And he's saying, look, as long as, as, as you're here with me, God, I have confidence that you will deliver me. Bottom line is this. I believe somebody today needs to hear, maybe for the first time, or be reminded, perhaps, that God is all you need. He really is. I mean, maybe you've been searching for contentment. Maybe you've been searching for peace, searching for fulfillment in a variety of different areas. And you just need to be reminded today that God is really what you need. And God has created us with a, a, an emptiness inside that can only be filled by him. He has created us for a relationship with him. And we can try to fill it with a whole bunch of different stuff, but it's not going to work. And a lot of you are like, yep, you're, you're thinking along, yeah, I'm, I'm with you because I've tried that and you know it. And you know you've tried filling that void with a bunch of stuff and nothing but God really fills that void. You see, if, if he would go to the lengths that he has gone to for us, and that length is to send his son into this world, to live as a human being, to eventually at the end of his life to be mocked and to be tortured, to be nailed to a cross, for, for God to, to pour out all of his wrath upon his own son as he took on the judgment for our sin. I mean, if he would do that for us, if he would go to those links in order to enable us to enter into a relationship with God, then one, why would we not respond to that? I mean, why would we not want to have a relationship with a God who loves that deeply? and who's willing to go to those links. And if you haven't ever responded in faith, I would encourage you today to say yes. I, I do want to turn away from my sin and my own path and trying to do things my own way. And I believe, Jesus, that you died for me. I believe you gave yourself for me and I'm giving myself back to you in faith today. I'm trusting in you as my savior today. And if you've never done that, I would encourage you. I mean, you right now, right where you are, you can just say, Jesus, I'm giving my heart and my life to you today. But even once we do that, the reminder of the links that God has gone to is also 
a reminder that not only will, will he bring us into a relationship with him, but he will continue to provide what we need. Because if God would go that far to initiate a relationship with us, do we really think that at some point he's going to say, ah, never mind, you know, I'm, I'm done with you, I don't want you anymore. No, not at all. God is, is the one who uh, will never leave us and never forsake us. And so we need to remember that and we need to find our contentment in him and who he is. Verse 7, let's continue on. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. Here's the third thing today, and that is that we need to follow the right leaders. That's what he's saying here. Sometimes we need people in our lives to remind us of God's faithfulness, to remind us to find our contentment in him. And he says that, that we need to be very careful who we're following. And it says that you are to consider their outcome, uh, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So look for people who live out what they say they believe. But more than anything else, what it says right before that is, remember those who spoke the word of God to you. Here's this, I can't overemphasize this when it comes to, because there are so many voices out there. There are so many so-called leaders out there that we could look up to and that we could be influenced by. I cannot overemphasize the importance of making sure that those are individuals who are speaking the word of God to you. That the things that they are communicating are what God has to say. Not our own ideas, or our own agenda, or our own you know, distorted uh, version of what God has to say. But he says, remember those who spoke the word of God to you. And then he goes on and says, and make sure that their lifestyle matches up with what they say they believe. It's important for us um, when it comes to those that we are looking to for leadership to know that they're really living out their faith. Not that they're perfect, okay? And I'll be the first one to speak to that because I would put myself in that category as a spiritual leader. I'm going to be the first one to tell you, if you're, if you're going to examine my lifestyle and say, if you're not perfect and I'm not following you, then none of you are ever coming back again. Okay? Because we all fall short. But it is important to know that there is some genuineness in that person that you're looking to, to, to say, yes, this is someone who is, to the best of their ability, living out what they say they believe. And by the way, I think that speaks also to the relational nature of um, spiritual leaders with those that they are leading. Because how are you going to know a person's way of life if you don't know that individual to a certain level? Now, I, I, I get that, and I understand a little bit different in that culture when you're talking about you know, house churches and small groups. And today we live in a culture where churches a lot of times can get very large and, and it can be difficult maybe to really get to know people. And by the way, maybe just a little, quick little aside here. Sometimes people like to knock churches getting too big. Um, there is absolutely nothing wrong with churches growing and reaching people as long as they're doing it the right way. You know, as long as they're staying true to the gospel message and not, you know, finding other ways to attract crowds, that's a problem. We ought to be reaching as many people as we possibly can. That's a good thing. Um, but it is, can be a bit difficult. Make sure that the people that you are looking to for spiritual guidance, whether that be 
um, people in your own life that, that you know, people in your church, people that you listen to, follow, whatever it is. Um, he says, remember your spiritual leaders and, and avoid, I love that, strange teachings in verse 9, because there are some strange teachings out there, I'm going to tell you right now. Um, but, but his point here is, look, we, have, we do have direct access to God, and he gets into uh, end of verse 9, it's not by eating ceremonial foods, which we've seen, again, in Hebrews over and over again. It's not about rituals. It's not about, you know, follow this law or do this thing. It's about the access that we have to God. And verse 10 is that reminder when it says, we have an altar that those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. Even the priests, and this goes back to, we talked about this a moment ago during communion, the priests had this bread that they weren't allowed to touch, but we have this bread that we eat that we take in, and it's, it's amazing to think that we have that type of intimacy in our relationship with God. So verse 11 through 14, I'm not going to read that for now, but it talks about how Jesus, as we've kind of touched on, is the one who opens that door. He is our access to God. Hopefully we've gotten that message pretty clearly. Verse 15, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Here's the last main idea quickly today is that let's give God the praise that he deserves. Give God the praise that he deserves. And it says that we are to continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise. Uh, now, first of all, there's a couple of, of words that are really important. One is the word through him. It's only through Christ, through Jesus or through him, we are to offer the sacrifice of praise. We don't get there any other way. But the second one is this word continually. Literally what this says in the original language is through everything. Through everything, we are to offer to God a sacrifice of praise. That means that when we are on the mountaintop, we give praise to God, and when we are the lowest valley, we give praise to God. We offer sacrifice of praise all the time. When, when things are tough at home, marriage is difficult, kids driving you crazy, praise God. When there's uncertainty about the future of your work, and am I gonna have a job, and how am I gonna provide for my family, you praise God in those circumstances. When you're going through a health crisis, you're not sure what the future holds, you praise God. Say, God, I'm going to continue to give you praise. When you're in the midst of a global pandemic and you have no idea when things are going to end, you continue to praise God through everything, right? Through everything. It says that, that we give praise to him. How do we do that? By It says the fruit of lips that confess his name. Here's what I want to encourage you to do is, is to continually confess the name of Jesus and, and keep God on your lips continually no matter where you find yourself. That's how we give praise to him. Through the good, through the bad. It doesn't mean we have to love it all the time. And it doesn't, by the way, mean that we stick our head in the sand and ignore the painful realities of life that we go through. But it does mean that even in the midst of that, it may be, a, hey, I don't understand this and I don't like it and it really stinks right now, but I'm going to continue to give praise to God because that's what he deserves. And I'm going to continue to trust in Jesus. and I'm going to continue to follow him no matter what. And then it says that when we do that, that God is pleased. And I love that. God is pleased when we give that, that, that praise to him. In verse 16, by the way, too, 
talks about doing good and sharing with others in need. Not only what we say, but what we do that demonstrates our faith that God is pleased with that. So closing question for today is this. Is your life a continual offering of praise to God? Could you, could you say that? I mean, not that you're perfect, but could you look at this and say, you know what, I think I fit this description. I think that, that I really am, to the best of my ability to do so, I'm not going to be perfect, but that I'm continually offering praise to God. Or do you praise God selectively? On certain days, on certain occasions, when certain things happen, um, I want to encourage you to, to just experience, to put yourself in a place where you experience the love of God so deeply and understand who He is so intimately that it just kind of flows out of us. This continual praise, and God is pleased with that when that happens. Now let's pray. Lord, today um, I, I do just thank you for who you are. I thank you that you have opened the door for us. I thank you that we can have a relationship with you and just direct access to you. Lord, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that, um, that so many of us are struggling with, with a variety of different things right now. So Lord, provide encouragement, but also provide the ability, I pray, to be able to lean on you and to find your strength. Lord, thank you for this book that you've given us, um, just to point us toward who you are. And I pray that it really would be true of our lives that, that we offer a continual sacrifice of praise to you. In Jesus' name, amen.